up with three brothers. And I think God did that to me so I would be prepared to work with Will, Joe, and Sean. Because having three brothers is a huge challenge. And I don't know how many girls out there have a lot of brothers. Okay, so this is a daily conflict if you have a lot of brothers. And one of the ways it came up for me was jobs. My brothers thought, because they were boys, that they shouldn't have to do as many household chores as I should have to do because I'm a girl. And so there was constant conflict between my brothers and I until my mom invented what was called the job wheel. And the job wheel was a sacred item in my childhood. And um, Jeremy has recreated an example of a job wheel. We're going to put up on the screens for you. And the job wheel, basically around the outside wheel, lists all of the jobs that, that belong to the household. So in any given week, my mom and my mom alone would be responsible for touching the job wheel. No one else would lay a hand on it. But there were four categories. There was the vacuuming, there was the laundry, there was the bathroom, and there was the dishes. And then around the inner wheel that rotated separately was the names of me and my siblings. And at the appointed day, which was Sunday, my mother would rotate the wheel 25%, and that would declare your job for the week. And this seemed genius to my mother because she thought it is now equitable, it's perfectly fair. Everyone, boy or girl, has the exact same jobs. Except it wasn't equitable because dishes are the worst job ever, okay? I hated doing dishes. I didn't mind vacuum, I didn't mind laundry, even dealing with my brother's stinky socks. I didn't mind any of it, but when it came to the dishes, it was like the worst job ever. There are four children, as you can see, in the Manglis household. There are 52 weeks in the year. Therefore, week four, week eight, week 12, week 16, etc., is always the same person's week on the same chore. Now stay with me here. Which week of the year is Thanksgiving? Okay? Doesn't matter. It's JL's dishes week. That's what you need to know. Okay? And so the whole week we're on school vacation, who has to do the dishes? The entire week, me. And that, my friends, is injustice. Now, count forward four weeks from Thanksgiving week, and what occurs? Christmas. On Thanksgiving, you have no school. On Christmas, you have no school. On Thanksgiving, huge amounts of food, giant gatherings of relatives. Who's doing the dishes? Me. Four weeks later, fancy dishes, all the relatives, huge amount of cooking, no school. Who's doing all the dishes? Me. Times 18 years, y'all. It didn't matter. How many times I, as an adolescent, took out the calendar? It didn't matter how many times I passionately pleaded to my parents that this is unfair. I even said, hey, let's rotate the wheel by one additional week. I'll even do dishes two weeks in a row to throw off the rotation. But no, somehow my parents continue to this day to believe 
that I was not always on Thanksgiving and I was not always on Christmas. And I'm telling you, with every ounce of heart in this body, I was on dishes every week of my childhood, Christmas and Thanksgiving. I just want you all to know that. Has nothing to do with my sermon. But this is the job wheel. Now, the only thing that made the job wheel slightly more tolerable was one fact. When whoever rotated to dishes, my dad had a saying, and it was, I'll wash you dry. I'll wash you dry. And so every night, no matter whose turn it was, whether it was me, Luke, John, Chris, whoever's turn it was, I'll wash you dry. And that kid would get one-on-one time, granted doing dishes, but one-on-one time with dad. And he would stand there at the sink and he would wash every dish and we would dry every dish and we would have life conversations and he would talk to us about everything. You know, school, dating, church, God, fights with our siblings, homework, all kinds of stuff, projects we do, whatever it be, we just talk about stuff, politics, everything, every major topic, and he would do that seven days in a row with whoever it was. And then mom, and mom alone, would rotate the job wheel. And he would do it again with the very next kid. And my dad was always willing to say, I'll help, I'll wash you dry. And our Father God is always willing to help us as well. He's willing to help. He wants to help us. It's not putting him out. It's not some big inconvenience that we ask him or tell him about our need. He jumps right in. He gets his hands dirty in whatever situation it is that we're going through. And he says to our heart each time, I'll wash you dry. He requires a cooperation to help us but he always says, I'll wash you dry. The Bible says in Psalm 35, great is the Lord who enjoys helping his children. Who, who enjoys helping. Now over the years of my lifetime, I've had some people help me that have been reluctant helpers. Like, I ask them to do something, and they do it with an attitude, and you can tell they would rather do anything but help you. But this psalm is saying that our God enjoys. Another translation of the same verse says, delights to help. So here's God, okay? Now, he's a big deal. I'm sure you all know this by now. But he, he would deserve the right to sit on some kind of heavenly lazy boy at the end of the day right like feet up kick back angel yo fetch me a lemonade and some other angel strumming the harp and serenading about his greatness like he could do that anytime he wants but instead of cashing in on that right that he has he says no 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 I delight I I enjoy helping my children I actually want to get my hands in the dishwater of their life. I want to do whatever it takes to come to their aid when they're in need. I, I'll wash, I'll wash you dry. It's, an, it's a praise. It's like an affirmation to ask someone to help. It's automatically a compliment. Because there are certain things you don't ask certain people to do. 
For example, not one time in my life has someone said, hey, JL, I got a flat tire. Come help me change it, would you? Not one time. But people ask Will all the time because he has some skill in the area. Now, additionally, not one time has somebody said, hey, JL, I need some help rekeying this song to fit my vocal range. Would you please help me rekey it? Not one time in my life. Not one time has someone said, hey, JL, I'm thinking about running a marathon, and I need like a training regimen to do this. Nobody asked me that, but, but they asked Sarah, and they asked Joe about the rekey. You don't ask someone that you don't have any confidence in that they have any skill in the topic. Right? So when you say, hey, I need some help changing my tire, you're really, you're asking for help, but you're also giving a compliment. You're saying, Will, buddy, I, I have faith in you. I, I trust that you know how to, you know, jack up my car and do whatever you do. To f- I, I have some trust in you. Or when you say, Joe, I, this doesn't fit my vocal range and I need some help rekeying it, you're saying, I, I defer to your expertise you know some junk about music that I don't know anything about. Will you help me? You're, you're giving confidence. You're saying, I trust you. You're putting faith in. It's, it's an underlying compliment to even ask somebody for help. Nobody's ever asked me for those things, and rightfully so. But I can't count the number of times that people have asked me, hey, can you help me with a public speech I have to do? People ask me that all the time. People ask me all the time random questions about the Bible. Like they expect instant answer with no time to think, no Google, just know what is Leviticus 17, 23. It is, thou shalt take the blood of the calf upon thy right left toe. And I got to recite that stuff like with no warning. People ask me that. Anybody else been asked that in their lifetime? No, of course not. But... People ask me questions about dating relationships, questions about friendship. People ask me questions about choosing a college. How do I know which school I should go to? How do do I plan an event? People ask me that. Why? Well, because I plan camps and I plan amps and I plan O2 and I plan desperation and I plan kids. People know that I know and it's a compliment that they ask for my assistance. So when someone says to me, hey, JL, I'm really struggling with my teacher right now, and I just, I don't know what to do, and I'm stuck in this mess. I'm not inconvenienced by that. I feel complimented that you would trust me with what's going on in your life, and that you would ask me for help. Because it says there's trust between us. It says you have some confidence in me, and you believe us. You believe in me. So when we ask God for help, we're saying, God, I have confidence in you. You're saying, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe that you have the desire and the willingness to help me. That you have the ability to like see the situation through and offer some, it it is a praise. It is a compliment to God. When we ask God for help, we're asking someone who wants to help, who's capable of helping. That's really important. Because for a long time I went through life thinking, man, when I ask God for help, I'm putting him out. I've thought, oh, I'm inconveniencing him. He's got like a, what is it, 7.2 billion of us right now running around the planet. And so I don't want to like be too needy. I don't want to be that guy that's always asking for help. But really, the scriptures teach us he wants to. He wants to say, I'll wash. 
you try. So the last time I preached in this room was January 9th of this year. And um, that's been almost two months. And that's the longest I've gone not taking this pulpit in 20-some years. And the reason for that is that my dad died the very next day on January 10th. And my dad, y'all, my dad's my hero. Like, I don't know what your dad was like growing up. I don't know how connected you felt or good or fair or loving or kind your dad was. But I'll tell you, my dad, man, he's the kind of dad every kid would, would dream of having. And even though he's like old, he's 71 and a half, he, he died suddenly, like no warning. I was just at home on a Wednesday morning and I got a, a phone call from my little brother, Chris, and he's hysterical, like hysterical. And, and he just drops the bomb that like changed everything for me. And it's something, it was a moment in my life that there was nothing I could have done to, to be prepared for that dad just had a heart attack while he was vacationing in Arizona. And uh, my parents are, have been married for 48 years, but for some weird, complicated reason, my dad had already arrived in Arizona for the vacation, and my mom was flying out shortly after. And so my parents were in two separate states. And so my dad's in Arizona, my mom's in Wisconsin, my brothers are in Wisconsin, I'm in Colorado. Boom, like, family bomb. And guys, I'm a, I'm a different person than I was on January 9th. I'm a different person right now today than I was the last time I preached. And it's because I've walked a very different road these last two months, and, it, and it's changed me. I hope it's changed me for the better. But in the last two months since I last spoke to you, I've officiated. That means I was the pastor at my dad's own funeral. Like in front of 400 people, stood up and preached with my dad's urn in front of me and my dad's giant picture on an easel to my right. And I listened to musicians sing my dad's favorite songs and I watched videos of my dad. I, I can't even tell you all how many people I've buried in my lifetime as a pastor, how many funerals I've been to, how many gravesides I've stood at, how many times I've gone through the motions of a funeral, but this time, it was my family, and it was my dad, and it was my childhood on the screen. And, and that rattles a person, that, that changes a person. And I stood up and I preached the gospel of Jesus and I said that Jesus is the only hope in this life and in the next. And that I'm confident that I'll see my dad again, not because he was good, not because he was religious, not because he, he was smart or right, but because of his relationship with Jesus, we're going to see him again. And I proclaimed that truth to, to 400 people, but let me tell you, it was the hardest, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And the only way that I could do it was because of Jesus was because of his strength and his peace and his comfort. And I tell you all this story today, not so you're all like, feel sad and depressed, and not so, <laughs> sorry, 
right? Not so you're all bummed out at the end of this night and have a good cry. I, I don't tell you so you can like a little bit feel sorry for me for what I've been through these last couple months. I tell you this to testify to a truth. To testify to a truth that the Bible says in Psalm 41, I'm gonna read it in about six different versions. That's how important I think it is. It says, God is our strength, our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And when I read that verse to you, let's keep it up on the screen a little bit. When I read that verse to you, I'm not kidding when I declare that. I'm not saying it because it's cute or trite or in the Bible and pastors should say nice things that are found in the Bible. I'm saying it because a verse like this, this verse, sustained me through the last two months. And I don't know when your time of trouble will come. I don't know. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're in a smooth sailing time and trouble feels far, far away. I don't know. But I know that trouble will come. And when it does, this needs to be more than words on a page to you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because the truth is, friends, that trouble will come in this life. We can't avoid it. And when it comes, we have to have a refuge to hide in. We have to have strength. And we can't find that in ourselves. I don't care how strong you are. You can't find that in yourself. You can only find it in him. And so I'm sitting on the front row of my dad's funeral, y'all. And I'm listening to some famous guy that my little brother knows, Corey Chisel, who like a month before played on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, get up and sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It was like my dad's favorite song and Corey Chisel's like my dad's favorite musician and he's like a Grammy Award winning dude. And I'm sitting on the front row and I'm like, in two minutes, I gotta stand up with my little laptop and I gotta walk to a pulpit and I gotta talk. The only way I could do that is because I felt God's strength lift me up out of that chair. And I'm not talking about like a miracle, little ghost thing. I'm talking about an internal knowing deep down in my soul that God's strength would literally come up underneath me on my worst day and carry me through it and carry me to the pulpit to preach the same truth that was true yesterday, today, and forever. The same truth that was true on January 9th was still true on January 21st at a funeral. And if we don't believe that in the core of our soul, we won't survive those days when they come. Psalm 46.1 in the Amplified Version says, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable, a very present and well-proven help in times of trouble. God proved himself to me these last two months. He didn't need to. I already believed in him. I already surrendered my life to preach. I've already been doing this for 20 years. He didn't need to prove himself to me, but he did. There, there were moments in the last two months that like I can't even, ugh, I can't even talk about them yet. But, but one moment that stands out to me where God proved himself to me, well proved that he was willing to help me 
was the day it came to picking out the urn. And I don't know if any of you have ever had to walk through that with a grandparent or I hope none of you have lost a parent at your age, but I know everybody has a different journey. And so there was a moment where we had to make a decision about an urn. And um, from nine o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon, I did everything I could to get my mom to walk out the door, to go pick out the urn. And I couldn't get her to do it. And it wasn't that she was like crying. It was, there was always a reason. Oh, I have to get a snack. I need to, <laughs> to go to the bathroom. I um, can't find my wallet. I, seven hours, y'all, just trying to get her to, and then I realized, I don't think my mom can walk out the door today. I don't think she can pick out the urn. So I turned to my brothers. I'm not the oldest. I turned to my brothers and I say, guys, we need to, we need to, we need to make a decision. <laughs> we, we have to have a place for dad's ashes to go. This is getting creepy, y'all. We need a thing. And they couldn't do it. And so me and Jesus, he proved himself to me. Like me and Jesus and again, I'm not saying like, woo, ghost, creepy. I'm saying like a deep confidence in my soul. Me and Jesus and my best friend on the phone picked out an urn for my dad. When nobody else had the strength inside themselves to, to walk out the door or to make a decision, God was very present and well-proved source of help to me. And that's not something you can fake it's not something you can, you can get through just by like gutting it out. It's only something you can do if you have a well-proven track record in your soul with God. Psalm 46.1 in the Living Translation says, our, or God is our refuge and strength, a tested help in times of trouble. Tested help. So when someone dies unexpectedly, there's a, like a million things to do. I can't even explain how many things there is to do. There's like decisions to make and things to figure out, like what's going on with this, what's going on with that. There's like a million things to do. That's probably under-exaggerating. And like just little things like whose name is your parent's car titled in? Anybody know the answer to that? Me either. Is it mom's name or dad's name? Or it could be both. To where do your parents send the mortgage payment for the house? I didn't know either. Can mom still use a credit card in dad's name? Is that allowed? If he passed away, can she still use the credit? A million things to sort out. And so the idea of like test, 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 test. And each time through the last two months, I, I found that Jesus and God gave the strength, were the refuge to pass every single test. And, and not that I was testing God, but, but every test that came up in front of me, I found God holding my hand, helping me navigate my way through the tests. And so in the end, I can stand and say, hey, wait a second, he is a tested help. 
He's not a rookie. He's not a novice in walking through dark times. He's not, he's not a first-year freshman at trying to figure out hard challenges. God is tested and well-proven in times of trouble. Now, notice this verse says, in times of trouble. I think that's really important because it's different if you say, God is our refuge and strength, a tested help in simple times, right? I mean, that's a whole different thing. Or if it just said, our God is a refuge and strength, a tested help, period, just the end. This is saying, no, when rubber meets the road, when life gets hard, when the phone call that changes everything comes, he is a tested help in troubled times. In the darkest of moments, in the hardest of times, in the loneliest of nights, God is well proven and tested, capable, willing, and able to help. Psalm 46, 1 in the New Living Translation says, Our God is God is our safe place, our strength. He is always our help when we are in trouble. He's always our help. And when no one else could like understand, and I don't know if you've felt this way, but I'm, I'm sure we all have in our life, that there's these times in life where we're like, nobody, nobody gets me right now. <laughs> nobody gets what I'm feeling. Nobody gets what I'm facing. Nobody gets what I'm wrestling with. And everybody gets there for different reasons. It doesn't have to be like this huge, like, boom, your dad died. I mean, it could be, nobody gets how stressed out I am about this test. Nobody understands the tension between me and my mom. But, but there's always those moments in our life where we're like, we feel like nobody gets us right now. And what this is saying is God is our safe place. He gets us when we're there, wherever the there is, and whatever the situation is that got us to the place where we feel troubled, he actually gets us, and he's always with us. It's not like he pops by in times of trouble. It's not like he's a visitor. Lots of visitors brought us casseroles, but they didn't stay. But Jesus never left. And it's so important to recognize that, that he is always our help when we are in trouble. Not when it's convenient, but always. And there's not any other friend on the planet or wherever that can testify to that. That not one second did he forsake me or abandon me or leave me orphan. Even though my dad left, God never left. And there will be moments in your life where it feels like everyone's left you. Be it for any number of reasons. But there is one. And, that, and that's what I'm standing to testify to tonight. There is one that everyone else forsake you, he will never forsake you. And, and, and now when things are not in times of trouble, now is the time to seek him and now is the time to know him and now is the time to cling to him and hear his voice and learn what it sounds like because in the day of trouble, you gotta know he's there. Same verse, another translation. God is our shelter and our strength. When trouble seems near, God is nearer. And he's ready to help. And like there's moments in life where trouble is near, where trouble is knocking at your door. It was at my front door. It was at the, the front of my heart. Trouble was near, but friends, the truth is that God was nearer. 
God was closer. As the Bible says in Psalm 28, it says that God is close to the brokenhearted, that he's close. And so even when you're walking through the dark times and even when you're in the troubled times and you feel like overwhelmed with the feelings of whatever you're going through, that trouble feels near. But this verse lets us know that God is more near. God is closer. God is, the trouble might be right here, but God's right there. And he's so much closer than you think. And we can reach out to him and we can call to him and we can cling to him and we can go to him. And our trouble and our hurt and our heartache is never too much for him. And so I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight and I don't know if I'm preaching to you because you need to know this tonight or if it's something you need to store away for your troubled day. But I'll tell you that there is a closeness that comes in heartbreak that you can't get any other way. You can't sing your way into the level of closeness to God that's given to the brokenhearted. Let me say that again. When we come down and we're singing and we're feeling the presence of God and we're just really pressing in reckless love and it's like so beautiful and you feel so close. You can't imagine anything closer, but I'll tell you this, than your day of trouble, if you pull into God, there's closerness. There's closerness that's available. And you can't sing your way into it, and you can't dance your way into it, and you can't serve or volunteer your way into it. You can't buy your way into the level of intimacy that comes in a day of trouble. But if you know that your God is there, that he's willing to wash while you dry, he's willing to to walk through the chore of life with you to get in the dirty yuck of whatever's going on. And I don't know what you're going through tonight and I don't know what it is that you need help with. And I don't know if the help you need is for tonight or for another day. But when your heart is aching for some real and true help, I do know this, that God, God's willing to help. He wants to help. He's available to help. He delights in helping. He's asking and waiting for us to turn to him and say, help. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to be perfect. Just has to be honest. So maybe tonight you you need help in an area of your life. Maybe you need healing in your heart like I did. Maybe you need healing in your body. Or maybe you need wisdom to make a major decision that you're facing in your life. Or maybe you need strength to get through a situation. Maybe what you need is some self-control to to overcome a temptation and, and somehow not blow it. Or maybe what you need is some sleep for your body because you don't know how you're gonna make it. Or maybe you somehow need time to get it all done. I don't I don't know. I don't know what your heart needs for help. But what I've walked through these last two months lets me know that there is nothing, there is nothing that our God 
won't be ever-present help in the time of. And so right here in this room, right in this space, I want to invite everyone to just close their eyes for a second. Just totally ignore the people around you. And I want you to look at your own heart, at your own life. And you probably don't have to get introspective very long to come to know what it is that you need help with. But I want you to think about that for a second. What is it? What is it that you need God to be your rescue? You need God to be your strength. You need God to be your ever-present help. And it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be eloquent, but you do have to make the ask. And so when you discover what it is that you need help from, make the ask. It can be as simple as God help. Jesus, rescue me. Friends, this access that we have to God is available 24-7. Not just tonight because we're in church and Joe's playing some lovely chords and it feels emotionally nice, but it's available to us in the dark, alone, at home, on the other side of the planet, on a good day, on a bad day. It's a simple saying help but we got to get good at saying help now when the day is not so dark so when the dark day comes we can feel him lift us up off the seat of the front row and walk us down the aisle we need to stand in and say what we need to say and do what we need to do and only you only you and God together can do that not, your best friend can't be there on that day. And even your parent can't be there on that day. And your pastor cannot be there on that day. On your day of trouble, I see you in Jesus. And that faith that he's going to help, it's got to be in you. In you. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are not a lazy and distant God. You're not kicked up in your heavenly throne, unwilling to help us, but you're anxious and delighted, you said. You're delighted to help us. And so, Lord, I pray for the need of each one of these students and each blue team in this room, whatever the area of life that they need help with right now, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come to the rescue, that you would help them, that you would show yourself to be their strength and their refuge in everything that they need. We give ourselves to you, God, and we, we know and we, we acknowledge that we need your help. And we love you. And never fail us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.